Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I've got with me today special guest, Dr. Carla Bell. Carla, tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to where you're at today. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me. Really happy to be here. So for the audience, again, my name is Carla Bell. My pronouns are she and her they. And my academic journey has been interesting. Started out undergrad, I was biology chemistry out in Pittsburgh at a branch campus in Pennsylvania. And it all came to a head a month before I graduated. I was going the medical school track. I was between physical therapy and medical school and went the medical school track. And a month before I graduated college, my dad died suddenly and really rocked my world. And I kind of revisited what I really wanted to do, where my passion was, and it was physical therapy. So made someone really happy on the wait list of the medical school that I got into. And two years down the road, I'm in grad school in physical therapy. And at the time, it was just as programs were going to master's and one program in the country was at the doctoral level. And so I ended up in a master's program and then later got my transitional. But I went from you know, that was back in 97. So I've done everything. I started out in acute rehab. I ran an aquatic program for inpatient and outpatient patients. You know, I worked in workers' comp for a little while. I also adjuncted and then moved full-time into clinical faculty at a program in Connecticut, outpatient practice, mixed patient populations, and then ended up in Delaware in 2008. And I was associate director of clinical services and ran a residency, ortho residency program. And board certified in geriatrics and orthopedics. And so ran the gamut really in the clinical realm of my life, but at the same time was working on the academic side as well. And through that, entered the academic side full-time, leaving the clinical side in clinical education, and now have just moved out of that realm at Thomas Jefferson University and am doing kind of focused work on sexual and gender minority health and in the College of Nursing. And I still have a primary appointment in physical therapy teaching as well. And I have to say my academic journey in getting to where I am in the focus of where I am in kind of the social political determinants of health in sexual and gender minority populations in rehab and beyond really came to culminate and my worlds collided from personal social justice movements that I've always been a part of to bringing it into the health side because when I moved to Delaware, my employer did not provide medical benefits to partner benefits. And this was at a time in the country where there was no marriage equality. And I, it just, it just 
really raised me to the level of, okay, I need to bring in my social justice roots to what I do all the time and not just separate them into the personal side. And it really culminated in me realizing I became the co-chair of the state of Delaware's health LGBTQ plus health equity task force with the United Way of Delaware. And it really just opened my eyes to the fact that we as health professionals are ignoring a huge part of our responsibilities in this country and in this world by putting the political determinants of health on the shelf. We all grew up in a time, and I'm probably getting to some of your other questions in this answer, but we all grew up in, in the society where you don't talk about politics and religion at work or home, right? And that's just an unspoken rule. And I have to say that really does a complete disservice to health equity. And we can talk about that in, in, a, in a little bit and what I mean by that. Yeah, I can't believe how many similarities we have in our journeys. I too went to a master's program. They offered the third year transitional doctorate if we stuck around. So I started that. My dad passed away while I was working as a tech at a hospital studying for my board exam. Ended up not finishing the transitional DPT because the window of opportunity closed and I just couldn't get my life together, you know. Uh, had to walk past the room where he passed away to clock in and clock out every day. It was just brutal. I didn't even know if I wanted to be a PT anymore, but eventually put on my big boy pants and finished my, my, my master's and finished the board exam, passed finally, and then eventually finished the transitional doctorate and then eventually also went on to do the EDD. My life, I was, I don't want to say big in the community service, but I was very interested in community service and I wanted to do things in my life that showed my kids how to get involved and do community service projects. And so that's what I ended up doing my dissertation on. So I was trying to bring that from my life into my work life as well. And I think that's a good example of like how we need to live our values and really bring them forward into everything, not just home life or work life, but, you know, just really make it who we are, which now brings us to the next question. You know, we've heard of social determinants of health, right? We know a lot of the economic stability and the education and physical setting and healthcare systems and stuff and access to those. But we're going to take a little bit of a deeper look in political determinants of health. So tell us a little bit about your definition of political determinants of health. What does that mean? What is that? Yeah, that's a great question. Just one thing before I get into the political determinants is I didn't even finish my academic journey. So currently I am in the dissertation stage of my PhD in population health, which culminates my value-based leadership in my values of social justice, love, and equity, and my focus in my PhD program and my dissertation is in sexual and gender minority health and more around provider behavior change to help mitigate some of this discrimination that happens for these communities in health. And so to the political determinants of health realm, I'm actually going to read Daniel Dawes, who coined the term political determinants of health definition, an excellent book, 2020, Johns Hopkins Press, I believe, called The Political Determinants of Health. The definition is the political determinants of health involve the systematic process of structuring relationships, distributing resources, administering power, operating simultaneously in ways that mutually reinforce or influence one another to shape opportunities that either advance health equity or exacerbate health inequities. And so now that's a sentence full. And what that means is the political determinants of health have always been included in the social determinants of health and structural determinants of health. But now we're talking about a system, politics specifically, and it, its unique ways it influences and impacts health equity and health inequity. 
Yeah. So you've got the gold standard definition there, right? We start there. Then we talk about, you know, like you said, politics, religion, and money are just things you don't talk about at the dinner table, right? We just don't do that. Nowadays, that's getting flipped on its head because we have to talk about those things, right? I mean, transparency to cost of healthcare education, that's becoming a thing. Now we have to talk about the money. We have to talk about salaries and you know, what they mean, right? Religion, right? We have to talk about inclusion. We have to talk about acceptance. We have to talk about understanding different worldviews, right? And last but not least, politics. Like, I, I don't generally get into politics all that much. I'm pretty middle of the road. I grew up in New York. You know, we definitely leaned blue for sure. But nowadays I live in Texas, which, you know, is completely red and there's a shift, right? There's a lot, you're seeing a lot of different multifactorial issues coming together here, but like a lot of people from California are moving their way to Texas and that's pushing the needle towards blue. There's no rhyme or reason anymore. Everything's been thrown out. I think that we're in a state of chaos when it comes to politics to some extent. So now's the best time to talk about it, right? This is not how it's been in the past. Let's throw caution to the wind and just talk about it all. Let's get it out there. Let's start talking. Let's bring these things up. So I'll let you dive into a little bit deeper definition for you and what it means to you and what it looks like when it, when we talk about political determinants of health. Yeah, thank you. And what I can say is we talked about the messaging we all grew up with. We don't talk about politics and religion, right? And that message, in my opinion, is actually very intentional at keeping important and now critical conversations out of places they need to be. Politics literally shape everything that we do in this world, right? Public policy decisions are made by people, right, that, that are put in offices with power to do it. And those legislative decisions have very real downstream effects on everything from economic influences, right, and policies to socioeconomic impacts and the ability for some to be able to do, to have their basic needs met, right, and how healthcare access is determined, everything in between. And so, the political determinants of health speaks to the very real and measurable effects of public policy decisions, you know, on the continued health inequities that exist. And to me, in the areas that I focus in, and then this is broadly for a lot of vulnerable, historically traumatized and marginalized populations in this country, they're the ones that feel these impacts mostly. And so, for example, you know, in 2023, okay, that's where we are. The United States has hundreds of legislative bills that are sociocultural in nature. They're not addressing poverty. Well, they are in a sociocultural way, but they're not addressing, you know, these educational things that need to be addressed. They're not addressing like all of these healthcare reform, right? These are only bills that are sociocultural in nature, meaning they have direct effects on people's ability to have opportunities for various things that help with their health and well-being. We have bills that are discussed and enacted that put undue burden on some people to access the medical care that they need because of changes in Medicaid, Medicare, a pharmaceutical cost, etc. And we are now seeing an explosion of legislative bills targeting a very specific group of people, gender minorities, and their ability to get medically necessary and sometimes urgent care that is necessary to their health and well-being in this world and in society. Care that has been shown time and time again and approved by many medical professionals and fields to be beneficial and necessary 
to help decrease the staggering disparities that exist for these communities. You said one word there that I want to dive deeper into, and you said the opportunity to get this stuff, right? Let's just look at it from a purely selfish standpoint here of physical therapists, right? These policies affect the opportunity for us to even have direct access, right? To even be able to treat the people that we need to treat, to even have chance. So, so if you're not paying attention to the politics, if you're not listening to this stuff and trying to navigate it, you're not even giving yourself the chance or the opportunity to address these things, you know? And so that's why I think it's becoming more and more important to really do the legwork and dive in and figure this stuff out. It's not fun. It's not easy. And that's why I like to just stay hands off for most of my life. Cause I was like, all right, I'll do my due diligence and I'll vote and that'll be that. And, but if you're not, if you're not doing a deeper dive and if you're not figuring out the ways to navigate this stuff, there's going to be a lot of policies that could affect you, could affect your family, could affect your friends, could affect your profession, you know? So it, it, it kind of all comes full circle now to, okay, why is this stuff important? Yeah. Where are we heading? Where, what direction are we heading with this? And why is this such a big deal? And you bring up a great point, right? So we need to start paying attention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a very real example of why we need to pay attention. So we are entering a stage in this country that I did not think that I would see in my lifetime. I thought, I thought we were past that in the 50s and before, but we are now entering a stage in this country where there are now laws in different states that dictate what we can do as health professionals. And what I mean by that is some states now, there are laws on the books that completely make gender-affirming care illegal but they also make talking to youth about gender-affirming care in any context illegal. And so if we as physical therapists happen to be treating youth, a youth that happens to disclose something to us, okay, in some states now, now before you did not tell, you did not have to share that with the parent. If it didn't have to do with their medical plan, that was a private conversation between you and that youth. In some states now, it dictates you must turn around and tell the parents, which is a huge safety issue for these youth. I can give you statistics about how many, there's 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ for a very good reason. A lot of their parents reject them. A lot of them environments are volatile and violent and they need to leave. And so again, we are dictating how we as healthcare professionals can actually interact and engage with certain patients and the rights they have or don't have anymore, okay? So if we don't tell that parent, we can actually be held accountable under law, okay? So if you don't know this as a physical therapist, there, there are a lot of other things I could talk about, and that's, we're not gonna get into all those details on the podcast, but that is a very good example. And another one, the care that I'm talking about that has been shown time and time again and approved by medical, many medical professionals, right? This is going directly to the, the statistics of suicide for trans youth. So now let me get specific into what I'm talking about. And people are like, why does this belong in physical therapy? We're talking about human beings, okay? Everything belongs in physical therapy because we see all kinds of people in physical therapy. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you gotta talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. 
And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now, back to the show. Now, we screen for depression, right? We hopefully screen for other things. We're talking more about the social determinants of health. So I have youth that are coming in. I happen to know that they are trans. Let me talk to you about the horrific statistics that exist for these communities and have only gotten worse since 2021 in this onslaught of legislation and COVID has had huge impacts too, okay? 45% of trans youth are battling symptoms of depression compared to 29% of non-LGBTQ youth. Now, these are where the statistics actually even continue to get worse. 43% of trans youth, okay, have made plans about how they would attempt suicide versus 10% of non, 45% versus 10% of non-LGBTQ youth. Now, 29% of those youth have attempted suicide versus 5% of non-LGBTQ plus youth. That's a third of these populations. We're talking millions, right? This is a crisis for a population that is not being spoken about in our country. And all of these things contribute, right? The political determinants of health work. This is from a 2021 huge survey done by the Trevor Project, right? Um, And they're talking about These youth are anything but politically apathetic. 85% of them are watching the news because they want to know where they can go. They want to know what they're facing and who is a person that they can trust and who is not. We're talking about humanity, for God's sake, right? And so that's why the political determinants are so important, right? That's just one example. I can talk about laws that are categorized under voter suppression for black and brown communities. I can talk about the downstream effects from those. I can talk about these institutionalized racism and inequity. I can talk about all of those with political determinants of health, too. It's all the same thing. Human beings' lives and groups of people are being targeted and opportunities continuing to be taken away from them and the way they live their lives and what they're going to be able to do is impact. Yeah. And I think from a bigger picture standpoint, population health is becoming a huge area where physical therapy can have a really good impact, right? We can help populations with simple things, right? With general health and wellness, diet, exercise, all of the things that keep a population healthy, we can apply that to any population. Then let's take it even a step further. We, as physical therapists and rehab specialists, help tons of people post-operatively. At any surgery, there's a strong chance we as physical therapists can have an effect on them. We can help those people. And this is A, a population you're talking about, and B, one in which a lot of times there's surgeries involved. 
So seems like a good fit for physical therapy. Seems like healthcare in general can be helping these people. Right? Well, and that's only one area. We didn't yeah. we didn't even get right. in, we didn't even get into the anti-trans sports bills. We are about and these bills are decimating a population's way to participate and be healthy, right? Mentally and physically. We all know the lots of pros for participating in sports, right? Mentally and physically. Politics has created a problem that does not exist. They created a problem that does not exist. And now the populations that are getting decimated for it were already the populations that were suffering to begin with. And our profession has not spoken up. I applaud the Academy of Pediatrics in APTA because they put out a statement last summer in support of the health and well-being and the values of trans athletes and said, and put resources up and said, we need to speak up. These communities deserve to be able to participate in the sports that they love. We are movement specialists. This is our lane, but nobody else has spoken up. So help me understand then, let's do a little bit of a deeper dive here. How do we get involved? How do we try to approach these issues that have been brought on by politics? Should we, right? Like you said, that pediatrics, the Academy of Pediatrics took a stance and made a statement. Should the APTA follow suit? Should all the sections follow suit? How do we get involved? How do we make things better? Tell me, uh, you know, some, some ideas, some approaches you think that may be helpful to healthcare practitioners looking to help out or get involved. Yeah, great question. It's going to take a culture shift, right? Like we have a lot of members and, and professionals that think that this doesn't belong in what we do. So I think the first thing we need to do is better messaging about why this is belonging in physical therapy, why this is part of our role and our professional responsibilities and accountability to our patients and our society. And so the first thing I think is start getting informed on how politics and legislation and public policy actually affect the communities that you serve. And you can't pretend that you don't serve all communities because you do. And if you think you don't, we need to talk a little bit more about cultural competability education, right, for all communities and all cultures. You know, we live in a bubble a bit in this profession and have barely expounded out to the social determinants of health, right? 80% of someone's health Trajectories and outcomes are contributed to the social determinants of health. We all can spew that statistic, right? But we haven't gone much beyond that. How can we be centering only 20% of health contributors and ignoring 80%? That's where we all need to really take a deep dive. And then we can also provide voice to our own public policy priorities, one of which is health equity. Look it up. And that doesn't mean health equity for certain things. That means health equity for all. And we've ignored health equity for some. And I think we need to look in the mirror, right? And this is not, I'm not being political. I'm not being partisan. I'm not being anything. I'm being human. I'm being a human being speaking to the fact that there are human beings that need our understanding, our advocacy, and our compassion. And our knowledge awareness and skills. And we are not living to our core values, our ethics, or our fullest potential as a healthcare professional if we don't do that. And so I think that's where we need to start, right? And again, maybe the professional organization needs to start doing some continuing education in this area, right? Like more and more around, you know, we're very good about advocacy for reimbursement and payment reform and, and the really important things that we if we don't if we don't advocate for, we don't actually continue to exist as a profession. I get that. But at the same time, does it have to be an either or? Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of advocacy 
But I also say time and time again, I'm not to go up to Washington, D.C. and shake hands and kiss babies, guy. That's not me. But there's a million other ways to advocate. And that's the thing I'm trying to teach my students as they go through. That's the thing I'm trying to teach and educate other physical therapists on. A podcast could be a form of advocacy. Absolutely. Right? You're getting out there, spreading the word of people doing good things, going out and teaching a, a local community course on whatever it is that you support, whatever social justice movement you're trying to create. That can be advocacy, right? Educating people on what physical therapy is, what physical therapy does and how you can help them. That's advocacy for your patients, for your Absolutely. profession. There's a million ways to advocate. You just need to find your cause and what you stand for and what you're behind and then figure out a way to preach, preach that to the masses and help educate. And I think that's where we come full circle here now is how do we educate? How do we take our knowledge and transfer that knowledge to patients, to other practitioners, right? You talked a little bit about possibly some more continuing ed stuff. You know, what are some of the educational opportunities? How do we approach that? especially with a topic that's ruffles some feathers sometimes in politics. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, I, you know, we all need to recognize that, you know, a lot of the awkwardness and divisiveness around talking about some of these political things, it has to do with the fact that we've politicized things that should not be politicized, first of all. And so getting back to maybe setting some basic foundational understandings of Here's where we're coming from when we do introduce the political determinants of health, right? We're talking impact. We're not talking partisan, one side versus another. We're actually talking about what's been introduced, what's been passed, and what is the impact. Get to the impact right away. Get away from the partisan stuff because the impact, all that matters, you can get caught up in the, oh, this party did this. You can do that on your own time. But when we're educating we need to get to impact and impact and examples, very real examples that people can connect with, right? And so that, that way you can go back to where you are, whatever state you're practicing in or whatever facility, and maybe your advocacy imprint is overhearing a conversation with a ton of misinformation and you going, hey, can we have a conversation about that? Because here's what I, here's what I think, maybe you don't know this, right? Or maybe we can talk about what your understanding about this is because there's other information here from the communities themselves or from something, something that actually says the opposite or something different than what you just said, right? Maybe that's our advocacy imprint is just interrupting conversations sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, like I said, I am a huge proponent of advocacy, but I also think you need to recognize there are a million other ways to do it. And those are, are some really good examples. And I hope people will take that to heart and act on. Pick your poison. Whatever you think you're good at, lean into it. Find that route for advocacy and go all in. Is it writing, blogging, podcasting, videos, YouTube, talking, speeches, educational classes, whatever. But I, Find it and go lean into it. To your point, though, again... Back to the direction this country is going in and what I'm seeing introduced in legislation in a variety of ways, I think every state chapter needs to provide an informed update to their state members about what in the politics affects their roles. Yeah, it's almost the least they could do, right? Hey, just so you know, we're here to protect you and help you and make you the best you can be. Here's some new things coming down the line. We'd like to make you aware. 
That definitely. And I'm not just talking payment legislation. I'm talking social determinant of health impact legislation. Carla, thank you so much for your time and for coming on here today. Again, this is something that needs to be talked about for sure. I am definitely not the expert in this, which is why we bring you on, because we like to hear from the people that are seeing the research, that are doing the hard work, that are doing the heavy lifting to help amplify the message. Is there a takeaway message that you have or anything you want to tell the audience about political determinants of health that you'd really like them to know or take action on or whatever it may be? Yeah, great question. I think throughout our conversation, I've said the important pieces. My my takeaway message is please don't ignore them. We are definitely seeing a complete change in health outcome trajectories here and downstream effects. And if you don't wake up to that fact, we will be living in a very different place in 10, 12, 20 years for some populations in this country in terms of their health outcomes, even their life expectancy, right? And that is really incredibly disheartening, tragic, because we can change that. We can change that. Yeah. Don't take the ostrich, bury your head in the sand approach. At the very least, do your due diligence, be aware, and try to make an impact and change. And some of these conversations are going to be really uncomfortable. That's what we need to do is have those uncomfortable conversations and be respectful while we're having them. Yeah, good point. Carla, we ask all of our guests this one final question. If you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? How would you change it and why? Yeah, again, great question. And keeping along the aspects of health equity and social justice, I would love for higher education to be a model of how we do engage in these challenging conversations and provide voice to different perspectives in a respectful manner, but in also in an accountable manner, right? Because not all perspectives should be weighed equally, especially when they're, you're talking about if your perspective absolutely does harm to somebody else, that perspective doesn't necessarily give equal credence, right? It's, so we need to figure out in a divisive society how we model how this is done. And again, get to impact, get to why we're actually doing this and why we need to role model this. It's because of this, right? It's because we're seeing these things happen in these communities and in these populations. Yeah. I love that. Great message. Carla, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and ask more questions or just follow your journey and see what you're up to these days? Sure. I, so I'm an associate professor at Thomas Jefferson University. You can find me on the website there. And I'm on Twitter at PassionatePT. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Carla A. Bell. And so happy to have folks reach out to me in a variety of ways. And I'm active in the APTA as well. So people can find me that way. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put all those links in the show notes so it's easy for people to reach out and follow up and find you. Carla, thanks so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast. And let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. 
For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.